Our, our passage is uh, Exodus 32. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and then 7 through 14, 21 through 24, and 30. Did y'all get it? Right? You got it, Jamie? You're ready to go. All right, good deal. So, or you can just follow along on the screen. Uh, John will make it easy for you. So, verse 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. And for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in the ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they, and, and they said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And then skip over to verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly uh, out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may, that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from the disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offerings as the stars of the heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give you to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord re relented from the disaster he had spoken of, bringing on his people. And then skip over to verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And for, and for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came the calf. And then skip down to verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. One of the things that's woven into human beings is a strong urge for survival. Now, it's not something I have to tell you this. You are aware of it. And so whenever someone or, or anybody is threatened, whether it's a real threat or a perceived threat, what they naturally feel is anxiety or what they experience. And anxiety is an automatic uh, reaction to a threat. It, either real or imagined, it doesn't matter. When, you, when someone feels threatened, they, it's emotional, it's natural, it's guttural, and they want to react uh, basically for self-preservation. It's just a part of the way that human beings are, are wired. And, and, and on, on that level, we could talk about anxiety, what someone senses from a real or perceived threat as something that can be good. 
Because with that, a person becomes more alert. Uh, they become more self-conscious. And, and they become highly motivated for action. However, and this is where anxiety can flip to the negative. If that level of anxiety stays at an elevated level, then it actually can become a paralyzer. Um, actually, the Greek word for anxiety actually is derived from the word to choke or to cause pain from squeezing. And if someone has this elevated level of anxiety for a prolonged period of time, a number of things can take place or happen. Their energy, it's depleted. Uh, on top of that, it, it alters the ability for a person to think. And, and what is created are uh, divided loyalties, where uh, it can be in a person's mind or it can be among other people. Um, they create these dichotomies, and, and their learning goes down, and they become less uh, cr uh, creative when it comes to problem-solving uh, because what they do, and this is anybody, they crave certainty. And, and, and what happens in, in, with people is they actually become more tribal, and, and they become very defensive in their actions, and, and that equates into an us-them mentality. Because what people want more than anything else when they, when they have this prolonged anxiety that's at an elevated level. And the elevation is subjective. For one person, it might be this level. For another person, it might be that level. But if it stays at that level for a long period of time, what people desire is for it to go away. And normally they want it to go away, particularly with like a quick fix or as fast as possible. Every species will experience some form of anxiety. And, and animals, it's where they get the fight or flight or freeze mentality. And human beings have that as well. But what, what exists in human beings only is what we call chronic anxiety. If an animal experiences a threat, then there's fight, there's flight or freeze. But as soon as that threat goes away, they sort of just move on and and kind of go on about their, 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 their life and, 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 and what was going on before. With human beings, they can experience what we call a chronic anxiety where they pay, play out all kind of scenarios around what if. And those what ifs, real or perceived, become their reality. And so when that happens with this chronic anxiety, people will do one of two things. They'll either react, and, and that's the instinctual, emotional, the gutter response that as soon as that anxiety presents itself at that prolonged period of time, they, they immediately act or react, or what they'll do is they will respond. And the difference with response is that they slow it down a little bit, and either through reflection or thought, they change their behavior. Exodus 32, in my opinion, is, is one of, if it's not the best example in the Bible of this, it, it at least is in the top three of how either a person or people deal with what we call chronic anxiety. Now, some of you are very familiar with the, the Exodus story. You know that under Moses' hand, uh, I mean, under God's hand, Moses, as the leader, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. And, and on their way out, they head east. 
And they crossed the Red Sea. And as soon as they crossed the Red Sea, they turned, turned dead south. And, and they're traveling as a people. And, and traveling in the ancient world uh, was, was dangerous for two reasons. One, you weren't tied to a city. And a city uh, in that day and time that, that was really a defensive uh, Mechanism. It had, I mean, it was a defensive area because you could build a wall and a gate around it. And on the wall and the gate, you could put different levels of defensive of structures. And, and, and so to travel outside of a city, you didn't have a, a defensive mechanism. And, and not only that, when you traveled, you were at a disadvantage because you, didn't, you also didn't have basic needs like food and water. And so... What we know about Exodus is that not long in their traveling, after they leave east and then they head south, that the children of Israel became nostalgic for the Egyptian food. We know that from around Exodus 16, that they longed for the bread, the oils, the fruits, the meats, the fish. And, uh, and they do what most of us do when they become hangry. Now, do you know what hangry is? That's when you're so hungry you're angry. I don't know if that exists in y'all's family. That's very much in the green household. There's hungry and then there's hangry. Well, when you, when you become hangry, what do you normally do? You complain, right? Well, you can imagine that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They complained to Moses. Moses is Exodus 16. It actually tells us they grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against Aaron. If we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, that would be better than it is right now because right now we are what? We are starving. Well, we also know that at the end of Exodus chapter 16, that's also where God answered their prayers and gave them food. Called what? Manna. That's exactly right. And so God, again, stepped up to the plate and, and, and was able to work in their life. And, and, and every step along the way, what we find in Exodus is that God is meeting their needs. Well, it's not long after just eating manna that they begin to grumble again. Now, we don't get this so much in Exodus, but we get it in Numbers where we have the corresponding uh, same, same passage from Numbers. says where, where the children of Israel complained to Moses and Aaron and said, we detest this miserable food. And they're still heading south near the, the most southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. And, and, and if, they weren't, if, it, if it wasn't with complaining with, with food, they started to complain with water. Exodus chapter 17 actually tells us they grumbled against uh, Moses and Aaron again. And said, why did you bring us out here to kill us? And again, God stepped up to the plate and provided water for them. But in their mind, there's this sense of... of part real, but part perceived fear that we're not going to have enough. Although that's contrary to what God did, because every step along the way, God is in lockstep with them. But eventually they made it to Sinai, Sinai Mountain. And we know that because that's where they received the Ten Commandments, and that's Exodus chapter 20. And, and we think that sometimes that's sort of the goal, and, and that was part of the goal, but what you really can't understand the value of Exodus 20 and receiving the Ten Commandments without focusing on the chapter before, Exodus chapter 19. And, and, and the reason why Exodus 19 is so important is because that's the formal uh, service between the children of Israel and Moses where they're taking official vows to each other. I will be your God. We will, we, you will be my people. 
And the Ten Commandments were a gift given by God to the children of Israel to be the foul lines for them, to be helpers, to be aids, so that they, when they entered the promised land and, and, and years later, that it, it would be a guide for them so that they could be faithful to their vow. But in that process of Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, Moses is on the mountain and he is gone, what the text says, for an extended amount of time. Weeks on end. And so naturally, again, the people's fears, they begin to run wild. We don't know what happened to Moses. we got to have a leader. And so what do they do when they're faced with that level of, of anxiety? They react. And so they go to Aaron. Exodus 32 is the beginning of the chapter. Out of their outcry and impatience, it erupted with a demand for a visible sign of someone to lead us. Aaron, you've got to do something about this. We have this anxiety. Moses is gone. We don't know what's going to go on. You've got to solve this. I need the quick fix. Make us a golden calf. Come, make us gods for us who will go before us. And so Aaron, under great pressure, also reacts. He takes the low road. He's hasty in his action. There's no thought that's going on in Aaron's mind. It's just that the children of Israel feel anxiety, and they pass it on to Aaron, and Aaron, he, he reacts as well. And so he tells, he offers no resistance, no discussion, no reflection, no caution to the people. And now keep in mind, he's walked lockstep with Moses and has seen the hand of God every step along the way. Aaron, like the children of Israel, just need a quick fix. And so he takes the gold, the jewelry, makes a golden calf. Now Moses is on the mountain, and he is aware of what's going on at the base of the mountain, of what's going on between Aaron and the children of Israel, but he doesn't react the way they do or the way they did. He reflected. So instead of reacting to the anxiety, he responded to it. And he actually argued or, 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 or worked back and forth with God on behalf of the people. If Moses reacted the same way that the children of Israel and Aaron did, what Moses would have said was, have at it, God. Wipe them off the face of the earth. That's not what he did. Moses... Uh, actually returned down from the mountain. He saw that the people were out of control, but again, then again, he didn't react. He slowed it down. He destroyed the, the golden calf, but he's gathering information. What does he do when he comes down from the mountain? He inquired of Aaron to get the full story. Now, this is what I really like here because this, this, uh, this is really interesting. He goes to Aaron and says, all right, tell me what's happened. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware of some of the things that are going on. And what did Aaron do? Blame shifted, which is normally what happens when we are faced with anxiety. See, we just want that quick fix. You, you know, our, it, it, it alters how we think, and, and we create these, these, these divided loyalties, and we're less create, creative when it comes to problem solving. We become very, very tribal in, in how we act. And, and, and so when Moses, he, he came to, to Aaron and said, tell me what, what happened, and I want, to, I want the full story. And right out of Aaron's mouth, this is how he responded. He blamed the people. You know how evil they are, Moses? See, us and them, 
we're the holy ones. We're the ones that are, that are good, and they're, they're the really bad people. You know, they, they came to me, and they said, you got to do this. And so all I did was take the gold, and I just threw it in the fire, and out came the calf. I didn't have anything to do with it. That's what it said. I threw it in the fire, out came the calf. He didn't mention that in verse 4, he actually carved it, and we didn't read verse 5, but he actually made an altar for the calf. Not me. I didn't do it. They're the people that are evil. I just was, you know, I'm innocent here. We do that, don't we? And the whole time, Moses is gathering information. Now, he does address the guilty party, but he stayed connected with the people. Actually, to the point that he even interceded on behalf of the children of Israel. Both of them were faced with the same anxiety, the same experience. They just acted differently. One, it was immediate, it was emotional, it was guttural, and the other reflected, slowed it down a little bit so that he could respond. You know, often you hear people talking about you got to remain non-anxious, and, and, and that's, a, that's a great thing to do because when faced with anxiety, people have the capacity to, to immediately respond, and often that's based on, on our instincts, our impression, first impressions, our, our, our emotions, and, and often that might not be with certain thinking, to be reactive. Or we can slow it down a bit and introduce thought and be responsive. Response doesn't mean that you don't have emotions or that you don't have those same impulses, those same impressions. The difference is you're just not controlled by them. They slow down. They introduce thought, reflection to see a wider picture. Moses was angry just like the others. He wasn't devoid of his emotions. He just handled his anxiety differently. And the key is to acknowledge that anxiety, there is anxiety in the room or in yourself. But you work not to let it to be the driver of your behavior. And therein lies the key. So how do you do that? I want to tell you two things that at least has been very helpful for me when faced with something similar. And the first one is this. It's, uh, it's prayer, but not prayer in the idea that you've just got to change the situation. Now, I might be praying for the situation to change. But this type of prayer that I'm also praying reflectively, where I'm not necessarily worried or trying to worry about the other person or what that person or whatever, you know, whatever somebody's going to do, I'm more concerned about what's going on inside of me in the middle of the anxiety that I feel. Because what I want to do is I want to slow it down. Sometimes that's to introduce thought. Sometimes that's to gather information. So I want to introduce a pause. That's hard. It says learn behavior. 
But, it, you know, often when we think about prayer, we think about prayer where, you know, we just want that situation to go away. And there's a whole other aspect of prayer where, yeah, we do want to pray for that, and we do want to ask God to work in there. But at the same time, Lord, part of my prayer is what are those things inside of me that are going on that at least help me to acknowledge what's going on inside of me so that perhaps I can slow it down with your help. Help me to just slow down the process. Introduce a, a pause. Reveal inside of me why I'm responding the way that I am. Because sometimes I'm not aware because it's just instinctual, it's guttural. And if it's painful, which sometimes anxiety is, elevated level for a prolonged period of time, I just want it to go away. So Lord, teach me through the situation so that I can learn. So not only prayer, the, the other one is this, um, and this might take you a bit to find, but one or two really trusted, valuable friends who have the strength and the ability to be a third party, to give a wider perspective. See, what happens when, we're, when, we, when we face with, with anxiety at a prolonged level for a period of time, we, we create this us and them. And often it's, it's, it's blame shifting. Where it's all their fault and none of my fault. You heard Aaron? I'm innocent. They, you know, they pressed this upon me, Moses, where, where you know, all I did was just take the gold and I threw it in the fire. After that, it was somebody else. And we do that. And so sometimes there's the value of a third party, and it's got to be trusted, all right? Don't cast your pearls before swine. But someone who could give you a wider perspective, because, again, what you're wanting to do is just slow down that immediate, guttural, instinctual fight, flight, or freeze response, which is a part of who you are, and it's a good thing. But at a prolonged, elevated level, it works against us. So someone who can say, hey, hang on, Shane. Have you thought about this? Are you sure this is actually right in your life? Are, you know, you're, you're drawing these conclusions. They might be accurate, but let's see if we can work on something. Let's just make sure that they are. It just slows it down. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have anxiety. And not being non-anxious doesn't mean you, 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 you go through life with no emotion and no feeling at all. That equally is not human. It's what do you do when you have it. And when it's elevated to a level for a certain length of time, that it starts to, to feel like it's closing down and choking. That's where we need reflective prayer. 
That's where we need the value of a trusted friend. Now, there are other disciplines that can be helpful. But what you don't get is the option of whether or not you're going to have an experience like this. It will be in your life. The key is, do you react or do you respond? In Exodus 32, you actually see both. I think Moses is the better way. As difficult as it is and as learned of a process as it is. And so we want to slow it down. We don't want to react. We want to learn to respond. Lord, we read this passage, and you know, one of the things that's so good about the Bible is we read something that involved people a long time ago, centuries ago, different names, different place, and yet it's like a mirror. And the, the, when we talk about inspiration, that's where the Bible's like that mirror, where, where we look at it and we think that we're looking at somebody else and it has nothing to do with us. And Lord, we can take the names out and we see our own reflection here. What we don't get is the, the option of whether or not we're going to be anxious but we, what we do get is the ability to how we're going to deal with it. And so for some of us, we know this is a, a, a harder and a longer journey. And so teach us to slow down. To not be reactive. But to be responsive in a way that you were able to work in Moses' life. And there are others of God, King David. And by far, the best one this way is, is Jesus. Constantly faced with one situation after the other. And yet what he chose to do was to be responsive. Teach us the value of that life. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, what we do is we acknowledge that uh, we're unworthy for this. The, the truth is, if it wasn't for your presence, we would never be worthy enough. But because of you, we have a place at your table. And for this, so oh God, we're grateful and we're thankful. We acknowledge our our own shortcomings. We acknowledge where we've missed the mark, our sinfulness. And we, we, through your grace, receive this different path that you offer to us. And so be with us, oh God. And there's something about taking this that, that where we are united together in one body. And Lord, there's something about as we do this together, we, we, when we leave, we leave with one witness. And so for that, we're grateful, O oh God. In all of this, O oh Lord, we give thanks, our rock and our redeemer, and we pray this in your name. Amen.